Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. This is our last episode of 2021. That's right, friends. We made it. We made it to the end of the year. We made it to 2022. Give yourself a pat on the back. These last two school years have been really weird. They've been stressful. They've been different. They've been just plain weird. And if you're feeling the burnout, you are not alone. I have talked to so many teachers, both in person, at meetings, friends that are teachers, etc., and people online that I don't even know in real life. And there is one universal theme. Teachers, kids, parents, we are all burned out. We are all exhausted. And so you have made it through another semester. If it's not a semester break for you, you've made it through what we like to think of as half the year. Give yourself a pat on the back and take some time over this holiday season and the break that your kids probably have from school to just recharge to really think about the fact that we need to celebrate our successes and we need to kind of detox from all of the stress that we've had for the last couple of school years. I hope that really helps. That's kind of my pep talk to you. And what we're talking about this week is we're continuing to talk about how to get organized, what to do with all the paperwork. And so last week in the last episode, I talked to you about how to get organized. And today I want to give you one idea about what to do with this, pa- with this paperwork that you've now organized. What are we gonna do with what we've kept inside those binders? I am still recovering from the flu, and so I will apologize for my throat clearing and maybe even a little cough. I have a cough drop in, so hopefully we get through this episode. So I'm going to talk to you about how to track goals and also how to track progress on or or how to track results from evaluations. Those are the two topics that we're going to talk about today. And basically what we're talking about is assimilating the data from all of that paperwork that you have into some kind of chart or some kind of document so that you can help to make sense of it because the story over time really does then become significant. It helps to tell the story and it helps us to advocate for the child. Before we do that, I want to invite you to my special education and advocacy conference, which I am hosting on January 22nd, 2022. We are going to go from nine until one Eastern time, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The conference is entirely free. I should have over 15 presentations, maybe as many as 20. I've got 20 slated. Let's see if they all come in. So almost or close to 20 hours 
of special education advocacy training. I still have here on my desk, my desk the list of topics that the conference is going to include. And the list includes, but is not limited to, inclusion, behavior, communication, specific learning disabilities like dyslexia, evaluations and eligibility, general advocacy strategies, the intersectionality and disproportionality that we see in special education for children of color and children that are living in poverty, transition to adulthood, um, some civil rights issues, and preschool specific issues. Big, full agenda, up to 20 presentations. The conference will be held live, but all pre-recorded on January 22nd, 2022. And if you aren't able to attend live, you can purchase a VIP pass. They're just $49 and that will give you on-demand access to the entire conference for about 30 days, probably more, but at least 30 days after the conference. I hope you'll join us. Be sure to follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Ashley Barlow Co. And um, if you haven't already subscribed to my email list, do that and you'll get the first notice when registration opens. Okay, let's talk about what to do with the paperwork now that you've got it all organized. Last week, we talked about how to get you organized, how to put stuff chronologically into your binders. I think it's super important to have that documentation, but then, you know, let's kind of keep it simple. Let's cut to the chase. Let's use that information to strengthen our advocacy. So the first thing that I do is I oftentimes will go to the evaluation reports and I'll track evaluation data. I want to see if the IQ is stable. I want to see how we're performing on academic tests over the course of years. I want to see what we're seeing about behavior and executive functioning and speech skills over the course of time. You can learn a whole lot. If you look at the data of an OT evaluation from age three, age six, age nine, age 12 in sequence, how has our um, performance shifted? How has it swayed? Where is the ebb and the flow? Are things very stable? Are they not stable? This can sometimes help us to realize if interventions are working. It can help us to really understand more about a disability. It can help us understand the effect of external factors, like maybe there's a new medical diagnosis. Maybe the child is um, pubescent and is experiencing the, the changes that are happening um, in the adrenal system and in the brain during puberty. Maybe the child has, um, we've stopped some service. And so we need to check in and see if you drop PT, let's do a PT eval in a year or two after it's dropped to see if we are maintaining the skills. Tracking the data from year to year, from evaluation to evaluation, no matter when the evaluations are, can be super duper helpful and can help you then to write a better IEP. So the way that I do this is I set up a spreadsheet. You could do this on paper, you could do it on the computer, I'm sure you can do it lots of different ways. But what I do is I take the information and I just chart it from year to year. So let's say a child was evaluated first at the age of three and then is evaluated again at the age of six, 
and again at the age of nine. <clears throat> now, if the school ran the same evaluations, then this should be pretty easy to do. So if the school ran, you know, if we're talking about a test that would test academic achievement, we might be talking about the KTEA, the, the Kaufman. We might be talking about the Wyatt, the W-I-A-T. So if they ran the Kaufman at ages three, six, and nine, then we should be able to compare apples to apples. We should be able to look at all of the subtest scores for the Kaufman across those years. So if it's that easy, then what I do is I just write the three dates in and I fill in the subtest scores. Now, sometimes the actual test will change from year to year, so the subtest um, titles might be different. And also sometimes the school won't run the entire battery. They won't run all of the subtests, they won't generate all of the, um, the kind of subcategory scores. Um, and so it's okay, you're probably going to have gaps in there. You might ask the school if you think some kind of information would be super helpful. Sometimes the information's there, but they haven't scored it. Lots of different things can arise. But if you can compare apples to apples because the same test was run from year to year, from evaluation to evaluation, that information is the most helpful because you're looking at the same information, how one child did on the same evaluation over the course of time. But it's even helpful if the tests are not the same. So what if the school ran the Kaufman, the KTEA when the child was three, which I don't even think that it's appropriate. <laughs> I don't know if there is a Kaufman test for academic achievement for a three-year-old, but let's just, <coughs> excuse me, pretend that there is. And then, or we could say, you know, ages six, nine, and um, 12, if we wanted to be more accurate. But then they ran the Wyatt. So maybe they ran one, the KTEA at, at phase one, and then three years later, they ran a Wyatt, and three years after that, they ran a Wyatt. You can still kind of pull some subtest scores to see, okay, where are we on phonological processing? Maybe both of those tests yield a score that is called phonological processing. And so you can look at the, the names of the subtests and decipher which subtest scores, which indices are testing or talking about the same thing. Now they might test it differently and that's where the nuance occurs. This oftentimes gets even more complicated when we start to add in outside evaluations. And the reason it gets complicated is, you might not know this, but most of the tests um, have kind of a, a provision on them that says that it's not recommended to run the same test more than once per year because the, the results could be um, less valid. I think the idea is really that the kids kind of start to learn the test. And so if you give it too close in time, too close in proximity to a prior administration of the test, the, the results might reflect that the child has started to kind of understand or know the test. And so you have to have a space of time in between. So if you do an independent evaluation, an IEE, or if you um, just simply pay for and want for your child to be evaluated outside for some other reason, maybe it's routine, Maybe you do want to double check the school's evaluation. Maybe it's accidental. Sometimes it's accidental. <coughs> Excuse me. Chances are you're going to get 
two different tests run. So if you're testing academics, you're probably gonna get the Wyatt and the Kaufman, the KTEA and the Wexler scales. And so we're looking then at the, the subtest names, the things that test the same areas, but they're gonna test them differently. But we can still learn a lot when we compare them. And so that's why I chart them. Now, what are we going to see? We're going to see relative strengths and relative weaknesses. We're going to know more about the child's profile when we track the scores. So we're going to see, maybe we've got a relative strength and um, gross motor, but we've got relative weaknesses and fine motor. Well, that tells us then that we need to capitalize on those gross motor skills and maybe the child's like really motor driven and gross motor activities just really help the child to achieve. So then we can incorporate some gross motor activities into the child's learning. But if we have a relative weakness in fine motor skills, then we know that maybe we shouldn't assess the child with fine motor assessments. Maybe assessments shouldn't involve a writing component because if the child is forced to write their answers on something, you're not gonna get an accurate representation of what they actually know because they might be too taxed by the writing task in order to produce the answers. And so you're not gonna get good answers. We might learn more about the way that the child's brain functions. And those cognitive tests, we might be able to identify that a consistent relative strength is the child's ability to um, fluidly reason, their ability to kind of like make sense of different, um, uh, different ideas that come in and then put them into some kind of reasonable thought structure. This might mean that the child is super good at math, but if we have a really good fluid reasoning and we don't have um, super good short-term or working memory, then we need to consider that when we're developing the specially designed instruction for that child. And so as we look at this from year to year, what we're looking to see is, do those relative weaknesses and relative strengths remain consistent from year to year, from evaluation to evaluation? So comparing them can really be helpful. Now I compare data all the time. I have a ginormous spreadsheet that tracks Jack's blood work because Jack's blood work is very rarely all in the green. <laughs> when we get ours from our children's hospital, we get this range of where the green is and, and you can be above the green or you can be below the green. And Jack is very rarely in the green on every single thing on a CBC or on a, um, I don't know, ferritin count or whatever we're looking at. And so what I wanna know is, are his basophils always low? Is that just the way that Jack is made? Was the doctor concerned about those low basophils when Jack was two and a half years old? Are Jack's neutrophils always low or always high or whatever it is? I want to know what is true to Jack because that helps me see what his, um, I'm gonna call it biological makeup is. I know that isn't his biological makeup, but what his blood work trends are. And if they're consistent and nobody's cared about him in the past, then I can be assured that nobody's going to care about those things that are outside of the green in the future. <clears throat> it helps me to kind of understand 
and anticipate where we might need to change medication or where we might need to um, track our medical concerns. So that's how we track information and evaluations. Another thing that I have started doing since the Andrew F case is I have started tracking goals. The Andrew F case gave us lots and lots of information. If you don't know, that's the United States Supreme Court and the most recent Supreme Court case that we have in special education. But one of the things that it said very specifically is that a child is entitled to appropriately ambitious goals that allow the child to either advance from grade to grade or that allow the child to make progress that is reasonable in light of the child's circumstances. Those aren't verbatim quotes, but that's basically what it's saying. And so what I am looking for is I am looking to make sure that the goals get upped, that the ante on the goals gets upped. We want to up the ante from year to year, from goal to goal. And we want to build upon goals. And to the extent that we abandon a goal, we want to make sure that we are maintaining the skills in that particular area, that area of development or the area of, <coughs> excuse me, of academics or of behavior regulation or whatever, so that we don't need to come back and then address that goal again. And what was happening, the reason why I started doing this was I was reading a lot of IEPs where a child would be working on one skill. Maybe it's identification of coins. You know, do you know that a quarter is a quarter and that it's worth 25 cents? And that goal might exist in second, third, and fourth grade. So I was seeing the goal, the same exact goal, get repeated from year to year. And a lot of times it was something that involved kind of rote memorization like that. That's, yeah, there's some visual processing in that, but really it's memorization. And so I was thinking, you know, gosh, if we aren't memorizing what the coins look like well and how much they're worth well, then we probably need to change the instruction or maybe even we're bored. Maybe we need to work on some other skill. Maybe we need to now work on rounding up to the next dollar or something. And so I started tracking, but you know what was interesting is once I started tracking goals, what I realized was that some goals were coming back absolutely verbatim. A school would abandon the goal for four or five years, sometimes just one year. And then it would come back and the exact same goal would be on the IEP. So we might have a goal in first grade, not in second grade, but the exact same goal was back on the third grade IEP. And that, in my opinion, is violative of those provisions in the Andrew F case that say, that the ante has to keep going up. We have to make progress that is meaningful to the child in light of the circumstances. And certainly recycling old goals is not indicative of meaningful progress. So I really started to learn a lot as I started to track goals. And it really has helped my advocacy as I try to get things to get continued down the line so that we continue on this trajectory of growth in all areas that need to be addressed by the IEP. So how do I do it? Well, this one's a little trickier because it's really just kind of about how you label a goal. So what I do is I do first grade, a, a column for first grade, a column for second grade, a column for third grade. Now, some children will have multiple IEPs in the same year and the goals will change throughout the course of the year. 
So then of course you're gonna do it by date. Here's the January IEP, the February IEP, the March IEP, whatever it is. And then I write down the goals. So underneath the, the first grade IEP, just to keep it easy, I write down all the goals. Then I label them. So this is math comprehension. This is math computation. This is um, transition to new activities. This is attention, um, sustaining attention. I just kind of label them. It doesn't really matter what the labels are. Because then in second grade, what I'm looking for is, did the math computation goal change? Did we go from addition and subtraction to multiplication and division? Did we go from single digit multiplication to double digit multiplication? If we do those, then we're in good shape. And sometimes you have to tease it out even further. You know, I'm constantly adding rows and adding labels and that kind of thing to say, well, this one could have gone um, here or now we've terminated this math computation goal and we've moved on to a new kind of category of math computation. So I'm constantly adding them, but I'm, what I'm really trying to do is to see if from year to year, things either change or the ante gets upped, things get a little bit harder, a little bit more complicated, or if we're recycling goals. In order to make it make sense for my clients, I sometimes do a little stoplight thing where I say, okay, well, here's our baseline. That one's just gonna stay white. And if it gets harder, that's a green, that's good. It got harder. If it gets easier, that's a red, that is not good. We aren't making meaningful progress. And if it's the exact same, it's a yellow, proceed with caution. What happened? We didn't up the ante. And so sometimes that progression of colors can help to really tell the story. If you do it with colors, then what you want is you went green. You want the ante to up until you feel like you are caught up with the grade level peers in that particular area of need, whether it's math computation or it is some executive functioning skill or whatever it is that you're working on. Goal tracking can be super duper helpful in advocacy because you can actually show on a picture on your chart how the goals have progressed from year to year. And sometimes the special educators and the other people on the team don't know that they've done that, that they've recycled things. So it can be extremely powerful. You know, a picture's worth a thousand words. Okay, so that's how I track evaluation data and goals. I hope that's super helpful for you and your advocacy. Happy New Year to you. We will meet back in January of 2022. We've got lots of great stuff planned for you at the beginning of the year. I can't wait to get back at it in the new year. I'll see you next week, same time, same place.